Hi, this is Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at WisdomTree. This is Li Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha Wisdom Tree ETFs. Welcome to China of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss the businesses, economic and financial markets in China and Asia. Hi, today is February 23rd, 2022. Uh, we welcome our guests, Bruce Liu and Yang Ren. Bruce is the CEO and founder of Esoterical Capital, where he runs a, a digital transformation ETF strategy. Yang Ren is a portfolio manager of uh, this strategy, as well as the Jing Rong Global Growth Opportunities Strategies. Yang covered semiconductors at Stanford Bernstein for four years, then moved from US to China. He will uh, give his insights on China semiconductor versus uh, global semiconductor firms uh, outside China. Um, thank you, Bruce. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Li Qian. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, it's a great opportunity to talk to your audience. Uh, we're a boutique asset management firm uh, based in New York and Beijing. And uh, my colleague Yang with me today, as you just introduced. Uh, we're running a, a ETF products, invest in digital economies, uh, as well as some hedge fund strategies uh, serving global clients. Uh, that's who we are. Thank you. And I want to point out that, you know, you used to live in New York City and used to work for Wisdom Tree, so uh, full disclosure. But now, yeah. you know, you're, you're living in Beijing and closer to your family. Um, and also, I think uh, uh, the ETF strategy is active strategy and traded in the U.S. So, you know, during nights, you pay attention to the market because it's active uh, uh, strategy. Um, I want to you know, mention a little bit, what makes you uh, pay special attention to the global semiconductor firms, uh, firms you know, in particular, the digital transformation as a whole uh, you know, a thematic strategy? Okay, uh, I'll give you like very brief start for this. Young has more say in semis, you know, uh, two or three years back, you know, at the end of like 2019, 18, and we saw this, you know, the new growth, like phase. we call it the 5G cycle, because in the 4G cycle, you got mobile internet, you see the like a growth drivers for a lot of things and semiconductor included. Now, like we get onto the 5G cycle. Now we say this, you know, you, you basically you're digitalizing every aspect of our life. Well, you know, when you are trying to put everything digitally and uh, it, it boils down to like what, who provides the computation, right? So semiconductors, you know, no matter is semiconductors for data centers, semiconductors for mobile phones, and uh, that's the cornerstone of everything. And uh, it, it, it benefits from the, 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 the very beginning. That's how we say this great opportunities. That's now uh, like we call it a secular, just a 5G cycle is the most important secular growth story in our life being, in time being, in this, this time being. That's how we say that. Uh, so that's why, you know, we devote our research and energy resources to this. And we think, uh, you know, having the right strategy will benefit everybody. Uh, for, okay, for, your, so. for your global growth opportunities, do you also be, you know, uh, focusing on this digital transformation or you well, have a broader growth definition there? Well, for our growth, grow, uh, global growth strategies, uh, this digital economy is a big, big part of that, you know. Uh, as what we say it, along with a little bit of other like you know growth opportunities like you know uh, renewable energies and uh, consumers and uh, they are also you know very interesting. But you know come back to this digital economy, digital transformation, 
is the major theme, as we see, you know, uh, as as of today. Um, with oil price at you know close to hundred dollars, uh, renewable energy absolutely is on everybody's mind. Can you comment a little bit uh, in terms of you know what do you see in that area? Well, those they have like a policy, political policy uh, uh, tailwinds, both from China and other you know the developed world. And now everybody is is moving towards this, uh, you know, uh, carbon economy, right? You try to reduce carbons and uh, reduce your consumption of like traditional oils, and moving towards the renewables, and to make the world a, a better place. Uh, this is inevitable, and this is just the beginning of the whole thing. And uh, you already already see a little bit of that last year, particularly in China. You know, a lot of like Chinese firms in the in this you know industry and the sector. They have been doing really well in the past two years. Uh, you know, it's similar to digital economy. This is also a new, you know, new trend. Get supported by the global governments, and uh, so yeah, that's how we see it. What What are the? We don't want you know go specific in, in into companies, but what are the leading countries and companies in this uh, renewable energy? Like from your point of view. Well, uh, uh, well. If you talk about upstream suppliers, and um, we saw a lot of opportunities in China, it's just like they take advantage of their manufacturing process. And uh, the, but for the, the if you come down to the supply chain, coming to to you know uh, mainstream and even downstream, you do see the interesting players, you know, uh, in US, both in US, US and China. And uh, what what are the top top three firms? I would say outside China and in China, like from your point of view. Uh, well, I don't think we are allowed to give like specific oh, okay. names. Like just, <laughs> no, <laughs> like uh, Schultz, for example. Those also just remember, this is new areas. You don't expect any like major firms dominating. You know, uh, the headlines every day. But you do see a lot of, like new firms coming into the place. Take Schultz, Enface, and they're all the you know very interesting place in US and uh, you know. <laughs> okay, no, so you're saying that the renewable energies are mainly new companies, uh, but not the traditional companies, like, you know, the oil companies who are branching out? They, what- they actually put a lot of like resources, you know, uh, into that as well. They are transforming themselves, even like, you know, the, the traditional oil companies, uh, you know, but you know, but when it comes to the investment, we like a pure place. We don't want things like mix it together. Sometimes it's it's really hard for you to you know. Uh, besides, you know the 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 revenue streams and the coming from the renewable like ones uh, are still relatively small. Uh, so you know if it's up to us, we stick to the very pure place. Yeah, actually, that is also the philosophy we adopt uh, at Wizardry for for thematic uh, products. You know, for for mm-hmm. cloud computing, we want the firms. Their business is cloud computing, not just mm-hmm. you know some other firm doing cloud computing. Uh, Young Ren, tell us a little bit about yourself and what's your top view on semiconductor firms. Hey, Li Chen, thanks for having us. Uh, I, I work in New York at Stanford Bernstein covering the U.S. semiconductor for uh, a little bit over four years. And after moving back to China in 2018, I started looking at the broader TMT space, semi hardware, software, internet. Uh, yeah, but my, my primary focus is still pretty much on the U.S. and the global semi side. And I do look at the Chinese semiconductor companies, but uh, it's not uh, our uh, it's not really our expertise at the moment. Um. 
tell us what you know countries and what sub industry of semiconductors uh, should people pay attention to yeah i was probably uh from a, a a more general view on the semiconductor industry is that uh, if you look back 10 15 years uh, or if the past three four decades actually uh, there's always one big market in the semiconductor industry right it's started with mainframe and uh, it's pc and smartphone you always have this one end market that's dominating the semiconductor uh, demand but it's a little bit different now because you've started seeing uh all different kind uh, end markets growing to be a, a meaningful part of the uh, of the market you have data center high performance computing you have pc smartphone and now you have auto started picking up so there's a lot of interesting space uh, I think for us, the most uh, interesting one would be uh, hyper, uh, the high-performance computing. You're talking about data center. Think about Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, these guys building massive data centers to, to, to support their business. And the other part that's really interesting, it's in the, in the automotive market. You're seeing two secular trends. One is the electric vehicle penetration rate starts, uh, start going vertical. And then the other one is the autonomous vehicle. And, uh, it's haven't really got started yet. You're seeing a lot of activity in the space, but it's not really showing up in the revenue, but it, it will be in the next uh, five, 10 years. Uh, thank you. Um, in terms of uh, semiconductor, it seems that the government support is a big factor. Is it a, a big factor, both for China and outside China? Yeah, I think so. Uh, semi, especially semiconductor manufacturing, it's a really, really uh, capital intensive business. Like you, you, you need like it, uh, ten billion dollars to to ramp up a new leading edge fab, and that's a huge burden for any single company. Uh, for China, we, we start seeing that over the past few years that a lot of government money is going into the semiconductor companies, and now in 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 the recent two years, you're seeing the similar trend in in, in the U.S., in Japan, in Europe. And all the governments are spending money into into the semiconductor manufacturing. Uh, I think that it is a big factor. Uh, actually, if you look at the past uh, semiconductor industry shift uh, in 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 terms of the the, the geography uh, geographical shift moving from the U.S. to uh, to I'm talking about manufacturing moving from the U.S. to Japan to Korea to Taiwan. There's always government money behind it. That's very interesting. Um, I, I think uh, people are a little bit, um, you know, um, skeptical in some degree, but you're also, uh, you know, fully aware that semiconductor is a very capital intensive uh, uh, industry. Is that, do you see government support, you know, aside from the capital side, do you see government support um, in general, like a good for innovation? Or you see that like in, in some countries where it's it's not necessarily good because it's it's hard. It, I've heard the stories, you know, in China because China has a national circuit uh, fund which is specifically run like a private equity shop uh, that you know try to um, foster semiconductor firms uh, on the ground. But there are some mixed uh, feelings about it because essentially it's. The government uh, spending significant amount of money doing private equity work. Um, do you see that as um, uh, a little bit um, 
is it a waste of the money in some way? Like I understand the capital part of supporting the the you know the manufacturing, but do you think that this this approach of um, government money in support like use the like a private equity shop uh, to foster you know semiconductor industry is this something which uh, from 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 what you see uh, in some way is is good for this industry? I would say it's it's definitely mixed, and there's definitely going to be money wasted somewhere in, in the process, and I think that's uh, that, that that's inevitable. Uh, whenever it's government spending money, it's not it's probably not the most most efficient uh, way. But I, I would say for for from a Chinese government's perspective, it it's a necessary way to kickstart the industry, right? Because if you look, at, uh, it, it's before all this uh, uh, government money flowing into the semi industry, uh, you don't really see a lot of private investment into the semiconductor industry. Right? It's one of the reasons we, we talked about. It's it's a hugely capital intensive, and the the companies they don't really have the incentive to 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 pouring all the money into it without seeing any return in at least five years. Right. And the, the private sector, they don't really have that incentive either, because for the same reason, like you can spend billions of dollars on the on a semiconductor company without seeing any return, or you can spend uh, maybe 10, 50 million in the internet or software startup, and with a two guy in the garage, you can you can ramp up a company, and that, that's a for for them it's much more efficient. So I would say for for, for the industry as a whole, it's a necessary step to kickstart it because it's not really, uh, it's not all about the capital. And I, I would say personally, I think it's more about the, the, the talent and what kind of people you can attract. And the monetary, uh, the financial incentive is a big part of that. Thank you. Um, so I'm not a fundamental uh, a manager, but usually we think about in the quant space is, you know, what characteristics or features of the company to rank, you know, how from from you know from your point of view, if quantitatively to measure, like if I'm looking at you know five or ten different semiconductor firms, what are the statistics, you know, on of features of the company, you know, people should look for for a good semiconductor company? Uh, I think it depends on the business model. Uh, for a uh, for for a IDM or a foundry where the upfront capex spending it's huge i think it's a really hard place to 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 uh, for any newcomers to come into the space and even for for big guys like intel they're struggling uh in, in the manufacturing so in there i will look at their uh, uh capital intensity i will look at the r d percentage as as, uh, uh, as as revenue and i will look at their end market uh split their end market exposure and look for the the uh, those uh, relatively more attractive end markets and the gross margin. I think gross margin is the most important thing for 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 semiconductor companies, especially those manufacturing companies, uh, because the the huge upfront capex and the depreciation uh, follows through the the the, uh, the 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 income statement. If you don't have uh, if there's a down cycle and you don't have a uh, you don't have enough wafer running through your fab, and you can clearly see that in the gross margin line because that part of the cost is fixed. 
Thank you. Um, I, I actually personally once uh, talked to uh, the CEO of one local Chinese semiconductor firm, Verusic uh, Cologne, which um, they have taken money from China's uh, sovereign semiconductor fund. And he said a, a lot of it, you know, they put their hands off. The government, you know, gave the capital and the hope is they, you know, the company can uh, offer return for that. So not much uh, interference uh, on management, even though it's a uh, state capital. Um, is this also a typical approach on other governments when they try to support uh, their own firms in, for, for particularly in semiconductor? Yeah, uh, I've not that, uh, uh, to be frank, I haven't really talked to a lot of uh, the local Chinese semiconductor company in terms of the uh, the role government money plays in their in the company, so I'm probably not best for me to to comment or anything. But I would say generally, uh, taking a passive investor role without interfering with the management, I think that's probably the best way to go. Um, government but, money or not? Yeah, but is that also us in other countries? Like, is that the way generally how other countries spend uh, on semiconductor, like a state money on semiconductor industry? Uh, yeah, I would think so, yes. Um, another very uh, very much a top headline in China is uh, Tsinghua Ziguang Group, which is affiliated uh, with Tsinghua University, uh, a top uh, te technology uh, university, which was in the process of being sold uh, to uh, Wise Capital and seemed to specialize in buying global companies and listing in China uh, because the valuation is pretty rich uh, in China for semiconductor firms. Um, it, it got into regulatory trouble as the US intervened when it tried to buy a South Korean company because the, com the South Korean company is listed in the US, even though its main clients, you know, they, they are all uh, outside the US. Um, US used it as an excuse to in intervene. Um, do you see decoupling of Chinese semiconductor and, and global firms? Um, you know, what, what, what's your general view and what's the impact on Chinese firms and as well as on global firms. Uh, yeah, to answer your question, I think the the decoupling trend, I think it's real, and uh, the the company mentioned Tsinghua, they were really active for the past several years, uh, making acquisitions outside of China. I think uh, at one time they were trying to buy Micron, uh, and but got got blocked by the by by the U.S. regulatory body. Uh, yeah, and I, I think the decoupling, it's real in a sense that uh, for, you can take uh, Huawei's high silicon, for example. High silicon was one of the most uh, most successful semiconductor designer firm. They, they were fabulous. They don't have any manufacturing capability, but they do design great smartphone chips. Uh, but after the U.S. Uh, banning Huawei uh, from using uh, TSMC, uh, they, they can't really put their great design and translate that into a, in, into a final product. And uh, I don't know what's the latest status for, 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 the, for the firm. And last I heard, they were trying to build some uh, mature, no more lagging edge, non-US uh, a, a manufacturing line without any US equipment. But yes, I do see uh, that the company trend becoming more real and uh, the, the local semiconductor uh, manufacturing and the semiconductor manufacturer equipment vendors in China 
and they have to step up for 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 the uh, for 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 the Chinese to become more uh, self-sufficient in the semiconductor industry. And for 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 the global guys, uh, I mentioned TMC, TSMC earlier, and they are the most advanced leading edge manufacturer in the in the world. Uh, if you look at uh, the semiconductor manufacturer below seven nanometer, they're pretty much a monopoly there. And even they lost Huawei as a big customer as the U.S. Uh, intervention. And you you saw other leading edge players, designers like Apple, NVIDIA, AMD, and even Intel itself, they quickly grab all the extra capacity offered by TSMC. So I there wasn't really a big impact to them. Thank you. This is very insightful. Um, what what's the general valuation? Like last time I heard that uh, people's impression of China semi is is overvalued a little bit compared to global semi. What, what's your view? Yeah, it's still. If you look at the uh, any metrics, if you look private, uh, uh, look at price to earning, price to sales, on any metrics, pretty uh, pretty common for the Chinese semiconductor companies to trade at a huge premium compared to the global guys. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's just, interesting because the whole China equity is trading at a discount of, of, against the U.S. And now it's probably a, a good time that um, we we could uh, you know bring bring uh, Bruce to talk uh, since China equity has has not done uh, uh, particularly China tech. Uh, Bruce, um, it, you know, tell us a little bit. Uh, you know, broad China. What, Broad China tech. Tell us the growth model of China tech industry. Well, uh, this is a very interesting question to answer at this moment because people, uh, when people were talking about investing in China, especially for people outside, you know, uh, China, uh, there is a, a very focused area. It's in the China internet space, right? Uh, people know Baba, know Tencent, know Meituan. And those are the, you know, uh, they used to be the growth drivers for the China, Chinese new economy. Uh, people like them. They are the, the proxy for China tech. It has been changing since the middle. I also said at the end of like 2020, and this has uh, changed a little bit. Uh, one thing, you know, of, of course, you know, after almost like 20 years, a huge penetration of, you know, China e-commerce, internet. And the, the growth, the trajectory of those companies look a little bit like a, uh, uh, peaking uh, compared to global peers. Uh, so that's, that's their business fundamentals. And also you, people now like this is not new anymore and uh, Chinese regulators put uh, increasingly pressure on those firms. And uh, so that's going to change their, their growth models uh, you know, inevitably, that's how we see it. Uh, also, on the other hand, and uh, China is pushing really hard uh, for other like tech opportunities, like semiconductor is one Yang just mentioned, and uh, electrical vehicles that's another one, and advanced uh, manufacturing process, and uh, renewables of course. Uh, so you do see like you know, it's it's up and down as a whole. <laughs> you do the, the the growth is slowing down a little bit for you know traditional China tech, but you also see the you know newcomers they have huge potentials. You know, uh, batteries is also the one I forgot to mention earlier. You know the uh, Ningde, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we we actually uh, recently uh, launched a battery related uh, uh, things strategy as well. Now, now this, this is really interesting because right now there's a talk about soft tech versus hard tech. And there are mm -hmm. some people who say China is shifting into hard tech, that these consumer tech you know, industries are not going to be able to make uh, uh, keeping up the profitability growth uh, as the other tech. Do you see that or, or, or that's much, much less clear? Well, let, let's break down the, the questions a little bit. You know, uh, uh, certain areas, for example, the e-commerce, that's the major one in China. Uh, 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 they are slowing down for sure. They are slowing down as a whole. Slowing, that's mainly driven by what? By the, the, the much higher penetration compared to US and the rest of the world. Uh, so that's just inevitable. Uh, so that part is definitely slowing down and its competition is, you know, firing up a lot. Also, you see the dynamic change as well. It used to be dominated by Taobao, you know, that's from Alibaba. Now, you, you, if you follow the China tag, you know, the TikTok, you know, ByteDance in China. And uh, uh, they are picking up in the, in the, in the e-commerce segment. So you see that the, the whole sector is growing slowly slower but you know the competitive competitive dynamic within that is also changing so that's where you need to do more work you cannot just blindly say you know i want to invest in the china e-commerce and the picking the baba as the the, the the winner used to be the leader and uh, but i want to say you know uh uh, uh, uh you know china you know soft uh, tech uh, is no longer an interesting place I just, you, I, I think, you know, they still have the growth of potentials. Remember China, you know, uh, China has another like eight, nine billion people who are going to, you know, enter this new digital life. You know, they, something they haven't really tasted or experienced, you know, like a large scale before. Uh, this is also going to happen. Uh, so I, I just want to remind people, don't forget about that, that the, the continued, you know, growth potentials for China uh, consumer tech. Uh, yeah, uh, and so, I think also more complex digital life, right? Like before, it's just for shopping. Now it's mm -hmm. you know digital health, uh, digital government. Uh, it it's it's you know uh, some of the consumer tech firms like uh, Alibaba is very much uh, still competitive in those areas, right? Yeah, you know, that's what we mentioned. We saw this digital transformation or digital economy is a major theme to play, not only in U.S., also in China. Uh, you know, uh, e-commerce is something in the, in, from last cycle, even the two cycles earlier. And uh, now, let's just take Baba, for example. People know them for their like e-commerce business. But, you know, that's still a big part of their, their, their stuff. But, you know, their, their, their cloud business is also growing fast. Uh, they get very much involved with this, you know, uh, uh, smart cities and, uh, you know, digital platform and providing different uh, like uh, services and the technology support for other to help other business to, to, digital, to digitalize their verticals. So, you know, just a, just a quick reminder of, you know, even those like tech giants in China, they have multiple business lines to grow. Uh, I went, you know, uh, they use also the also they used to have this you know fintech business which is under pressure at the moment uh, it, it's it's not that clear how they are going to grow that particularly in china for the regulatory reasons 
but you know, just a quick reminder to you know to your audience. Uh, there are quite a diversified businesses with multiple like a, yeah. a growth drivers. Actually, interestingly, um, you know, Baba announced uh, uh, some of the computing. They they also want to design their chips, right? I I, I think they are. Is that something which is also related to semiconductor? I just well, you know. I- yeah, like I think two years ago, three years, three years ago, I forgot. Like you know, they they also have these annual developer meetings, and uh, at one meeting they showcased. We even took pictures of their like new chips, and to support their like you know workload. Uh, it's the same trend as you see from Amazon, Google, and uh, Facebook. Uh, if it's it, it, they get to the point, they can customize their own uh, uh, silicons uh, to optimize for their workload. Uh, this also like a, this is another inevitable trend that Young mentioned earlier. Uh, it's happening with Baba, and uh, I believe it's also happening with other like Chinese tech giants as well. Baidu is doing their similar things, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's really interesting because I think that right now, at least this year, there is a little bit shift toward the value. Uh, you know, which is more energy commodity, and these growth companies. Uh, has been, you know, challenged in China first and now in the U.S. So what are we in terms of uh, economic market cycle in China as well as, you know, in the U.S. since you do a lot of research uh, in this in this area? No, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, as a growth manager, so we are, you know, this is not the best time we, <laughs> for us. But, you know, uh, uh, let's start with this value versus the growth thing, and because this is happening, especially in U.S., you already see this huge gap between value factors and and growth factors. Uh, it's it's mainly driven by the shift of like you know shifting pivoting to hawkishness uh, of you know the Fed. Um, historically speaking, whenever you have this you know uh, very very sudden rise of interest rates and uh, also uh, you know you always see this value factors you know uh, uh, outperforming versus growth uh, you know uh, this is just you know I think that's the bigger driver of this or in the middle of this you know the Fed is is going to to tight and they appear much more hawkish than they used to and the market is pricing in that which is driving the value factor is really outperforming. The same thing actually happened the last year in March, February, March, uh, May, and even September. Uh, that's why last year was very challenging for growth managers. Uh, it's, it's the macro driver. So that's a similar what, what, thing. Yeah, but what about China? I mean, China's interest rate is not rising for sure. because you know, yeah, uh, China is a little bit different uh factor wise we don't pay that much attention in china uh because i don't think they have a reliable like you know that's the thing you know us has very reliable like a factor framework to look at we don't see that in china uh but china in this cycle china was it still is you know uh leading the rest of the world a little bit you know they get into the covid first they have the support you know monetary support they get out you know uh, uh, they started like a tapering, uh, like, you know, tightening their monetary support even at the end of like 2020. So you do see the impact of that last year. 
their monetary you know cycle is just you know rolling over. Uh, I think that's a big driver of China uh, uh, cycle. You know, U.S. is still staying at the peak, is slowing a little bit, and China is, in my word, is at the bottom of their economic uh, the market cycle. <laughs> you you saw three three big forces last year. The first one is their monetary you know uh uh. uh uh, policy monetary cycle credit cycle and the uh, peak at the end of like 2020 then just coming off i, I think we are at the, the the bottom of this you know credit cycle a lot of people investors are expecting to see the the, the bottoming out of like a china credit cycle it's uh, it's happening a little bit uh, but so far you know uh, it looks okay on the headline numbers but the, within that the structure wise uh, still troublesome uh, we see the lack of confidence from like corporate investments. Uh, if they don't have the confidence, they don't you know take loans from the banks. They do not basically they don't invest. Also, the correct crackdown of like a China uh, property property market it has the side effect as well. You see this you know people just stop buying houses. They don't take on the mortgages. Uh, you see that the collapse of that from the the uh, the. Uh, the credit credit growth, uh, you know, uh, housing market is very tricky and interesting. Uh, it it certainly has it 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 drawbacks. You know, it, it imposes a huge leverage to the financial system. But on the other hand, uh, housing market is actually having very very large and positive multiple effect. Meaning, when people start buying houses, they start buying other like you know big ticket items as well. That's how the money is flowing through. In particularly in China, I think housing sector is playing a very important, critical role as a credit channel. You know, uh, it's not. It's this is the big difference between China and U.S. China, U.S. has very fun, well functioning credit market to help you know companies gaining capitals and help them to invest. Well, in China, in my opinion, they used to have this you know. Traditional bank lending, they also have this, you know, housing market. <laughs> that's Two right. working together, used to work together. That helps, you know, manage the, the credit cycles. And this time around, it's different because the government is doesn't want the, 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 the housing market to, you know, be a big part of their growth stories anymore. Uh, you do say that's, that part is dried up. Uh, now you only have, in our opinions, at least on the data, that's it shows that way. You only have the bank lending as the major way, you know, to let the credit flow through. Uh, we are, uh, you know, a lot of things wait to say. We are waiting to say, say this is working or you got a, a new channel or not. So I think you know, not to mention last year, you got this huge regulatory pressures, right? Particularly for the internet companies. Uh, that's of also a very fundamental uh, change, uh, you know, of you know China story, and also how you should look at the, like the opportunities in China. Um, Thank you. Anyway, so you get all the like pressures, you know, putting down the cycles. I think we are definitely at the bottom of the cycles. But the the billion dollar question is when we are getting out of this. Uh, we are not convinced that we are there yet. Uh, we are doing research. We're watching the data. We we, we watch. We're observing. We are observing the the, the development on the, you know uh, in the local market. So, you know, hopefully we get a, a the sense when that really happens. 
Yes, and um, I think uh, China, uh, just reminding our listeners that China's uh, economic policy is hugely political calendar driven. So, you know, January, February, it's one month long Chinese New Year. Just two days ago, Chinese parents are happy. Their kids are finally back to school after one month of vacation. And, you know, the March National Congress is, is when the government actually set uh, the annual economic growth target. So I think uh, unless there's more clarity when the March comes, um, you know, the kind of stimulus, how much, how it's going to be done is, you know, is not going to be out. Uh, everybody is guessing right now. Um, for example, I talked to some friends. They say they, there's governments likely make it, make the special purpose bond definition a little bit murkier so that a lot of things that used to be, cannot be considered a special purpose bond uh, could now uh, issue as a special purpose. But it's all gossip right now. Um, uh, Bruce, one, one, one question on tech regulations. Um, what's your take on, on the future tech regulation? Well, uh, uh, simply put, we just need to get used to this. This is not gonna, this is not a temporary thing. As I saw a lot of people, especially outside, they feel like, okay, well, this will be over uh, eventually. And we go back to the old business. Uh, that's the wrong thinking in our opinions. You know, China internet companies as a whole as China tech companies used to grow without much, you know, regulation, to be fair. Uh, they just <laughs> they got all the good things. They got all the good things. They can grow their business without much, you know, scrutiny uh, from the regulators. Uh, it comes with, of course, the benefits, particularly for the companies and investors. You know, you can really, really grow your margins, you know, and, uh, and uh, deliver like the values to, to investors. This is the changing and this is now new. The same thing happens in US and EU, particularly in the, you know, for like take a data privacy issues, for example, uh, data securities and those are those kind of things. China regulation is just catching up uh, in our opinions. And it's just catching up and to make sure now, okay, uh, used to be the case, regulations are behind of the curve. You know, companies are doing a lot of things. Some things are good, some things are bad. Well, later on, you know, regulators steps in. Okay, you can do this, you cannot do that. It's bad for the ecosystem. It's bad for the, the consumers, bad for the competition. Uh, now, last year, you see the huge ramp up of regulations. Uh, they're on par with the business, you know. When we set up the rules, you know, you know uh, it's, it's in sync, uh, put it that way. Um, I wouldn't be surprised going forward, regulations are even getting ahead of themselves, getting ahead of business. They set up the rules, they're telling, giving the guidance to the business. Those are the things you can do. Those are the things you shouldn't do. So when you think about your business development and the new growth areas, opportunities, don't try. Don't try. Play by the rules and having a better ecosystem. In the long run, we believe this is a good thing, good for the ecosystem. You are, it's just like, you know, it's like this, you know, growing your pies. Uh, we don't think uh, China's pie stops growing. China's pie, China tax pie is, keeps going. It's just a matter, you know, how you slice the pie <laughs> within the yeah. ecosystem. Great. I think that's the right way to, to think about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's also the way I think it. Yeah, I think also in the U.S., uh, people are waking up that a lot of these regulations were ongoing in China already. So it's not suddenly it's a new thing. I think it's just because 
of the COVID, well, China, yeah. you know, with with such a become a, a a focus. So suddenly, you know, there's just so much more reporting of Chinese regulations. No, I think it's the people didn't uh, pay much attention as investors ourselves. Uh, we have to, we thinking back, reflect on our approach, and uh, we didn't pay. Uh, Chinese regulations as much attention as we do these days, and I think that the same thing go same thing goes to other investors, even very sophisticated global investors. It's just it's 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 not a very serious like consideration. This is a changing though. This is a changing though, and also another thing, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's you know, uh, uh, like take a China education tech for example, uh, regulations regulators. Put forward those you know requirements, uh, their intentions uh, quarters earlier. Uh, you know people just didn't pay attention. Well, you know, uh, 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 but I have to blame uh, a little bit <laughs> on the regulators. You know, for the lack of coordination, lack of better communication. Uh, it's a learning process for everybody. Uh, they are now used to this, and now I think after that, everybody is learning their lessons, and uh, hopefully we can coordinate better. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, but the, the, to be fair, the trust, the trust is definitely lost. We are in the process of you know rebuilding that trust. I don't know how long that's gonna take. Uh, might take a while, but eventually, if that trust it cannot be rebuilt, uh, market is gonna demand a huge risk premium for the any Chinese investments. So, so that's how we say it today. Yeah, I think. Uh... That that's my view as well. That you know the education tech was definitely done badly, and you know within a week the government kind of admitted right by firing the education education minister, uh, because uh, it was you know a lot of trust was lost during that episode. Um, yeah, that's a very unfortunate accident. Well, uh, you know I feel like they are learning the lessons. Like if you remember last Friday. Uh, 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 one major Chinese NDRC, they issued a statement. The intention was, I uh, still yes, sorry. The intention is to help small businesses, especially restaurants, local services, to you know get through the difficult time because of the COVID lockdown. That's the re- intention of that that document. Uh, but somehow they mentioned Meituan, or like you know, uh, uh, an Ma, not the names, but the the, the industry. And uh, urge them to help the the small businesses to to you know to fight against COVID and difficult time. Uh, like the market was taking it very badly, thinking you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, the more regulations are coming. Well, you, yesterday I believe you know um, through some state media, they tried to clear up things. And, and this uh, happens so I think a that, lot. That, yeah. that, uh, sorry to interrupt, but. I think for people who pay attention to Chinese regulations, you got to first that regulation was not new regulation, but in the English media, the the first reporting was saying this is new regulation, which um, is was actually a very old regulation. Um, they were just kind of reinstating it to helping you know the small business. And the second thing is, right now this year, the the growth economic growth is definitely the the, the number one uh you know goal so regulations are taking you know the second uh you know i would say it's very unlikely that china will intentionally come out 
with the regulation purposely hurting businesses, right? Um, so I think that a lot of that is is like you said, you know, building trust uh, and the Chinese government obviously is also trying because now they realize what they say has so much impact. I think before NDRC will, will be like, what, we say this all the time, right? <laughs> if you look at the history, a lot of regulations in China got delayed or watered down a lot. Um, you know, I was just uh, tweeting out today, saying, you know, the, the 50,000 wire transfer um, regulation from PBOC, essentially PBOC admits that they don't want to enforce it for now. Um, the personal uh, payment account uh, regulation essentially becomes completely watered down, even though at that time, you know, in November last year, when that regulation was announced, it was front page news, you know, the market, the China tech market, you know, the couple of firms like Ali and Tencent, um, they were all impacted. So I think it's uh, the rebuilding process, like you said, it's going to be uh, a little bit hard, but it's in the in the in the slightly better position. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I do want to give the last uh, question. So Yang, um, what do you think we need to pay attention to for semiconductor? I uh, did, you know, what, what else we do we need to pay attention to that we didn't cover? Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I don't know if you guys uh, pay attention to Intel's analyst day last week. Uh, the the new CEO he raised up a really good phenomenon, a, a really good question. Uh, says like a couple of, uh, twenty years ago, the the Western U.S. and Europe uh, is is making up I, I think the number was eighty percent of the semiconductor semiconductor manufacturing capacity, and nowadays it's Asia that's making up eighty percent of the capacity, and he sees that as a huge risk to uh, to the to to the U.S. and to the Western general in terms of uh, the supply chain security in a supply chain security perspective. And he even make a statement that investing in Intel is a hedge against a geopolitical risk. <laughs> I think it's a really fascinating uh, comment. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I agree with them, but that that certainly is something worth paying attention to. Thank you. And Bruce, what do you think? Uh, we need to pay special, you know, extra attention to China in the near future. Well, you know, just watching for the, how the cycle uh, uh, is bottoming out. And uh, that could be coming from the monetary support, from physical support, uh, even a little bit like regulatory, like, you know, uh, less pressure. Uh, three things that used to put us down. Now, like we need to, that's, I think, uh, uh, everybody is waiting for, I don't think it's an individual stock, you know, uh, story. It's, it's a China beta coming back story. How, uh, how could, thank you. No, that's a great way. Uh, I don't think, uh, I think for China, unless you have extreme insight for individual companies, then, you know, for each individual company investing is going to be even more risky uh, for, for China uh, than, than, you know, than other um countries um so how could our listeners reach you uh if they want to find out more well <laughs> uh, please come to our uh, website we, we 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 try our best to engage with our audience and we publish it constantly you can sign up our like weekly uh, newsletter you can also find us at starker cap on linkedin and instagram i don't think many people have been doing that like very actively um, we claim ourselves as the new generation of, you know, asset managers uh, have a, like a really 
D2C uh, approach in your mind. Uh, you know, that's, that's how people can find us. Thank you. This is great. Thank you, Bruce. Thank, Thank you, Young. Thank you for yeah, we look forward to talking again. Uh, since yeah. now you are based in, in, in China, in Beijing, um, we can listen to our you can listen to our podcast uh, in Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, and WisdomTree.com blog and resources. Uh, Jeremy and I are also active on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at um, liqian underscore rem. And thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Take care.